and welcome back to another episode of the Cinema Slayers podcast. We have a very awesome episode for you today. This is our episode about the new movie, well, new-ish reboot movie, Hellboy. And it's just me and Heather on this episode, Devin and Justin, unfortunately could not make it today. And so we are doing this, just us. So we are going to talk about everything we liked, didn't like, and everything in between as we always do. But it won't be as structured. This is something you typically hear from me and uh, Justin doing one of these, but you get to hear it with me and somebody else today. So this will be a little bit looser, a little bit more free flowy, but we will cover the three things we always cover, like I said, with what we liked, didn't like, and everything in between. And you will get our recommendations and scores at the end. So Heather, talk about Hellboy. <laughs> so this one for me, it's a little bit out of my element just because I... I'm not familiar with the comics, and if I'm being honest, I know I'm going to get a lot of flack for this. I didn't actually see the other two Hellboy movies before this. Ooh. Not that it's... <laughs> I know, I know. And I do want to, but um, but yeah, I just this one looked really fun, and um, it, I don't know. I just kind of... Maybe I just missed the train of when Hellboy was like a big deal, the other ones. And I know this is more of a reboot, and it's not like a sequel to that or anything. So I was like, well, let me just start with this one then, I guess. So, yeah, I mean, for for what it was, I mean, it was it was it was fine. It was not something that I'm like, this is the greatest action movie or comic movie I've ever seen in any sort of way. But it was entertaining, like just going into it, not really knowing much about what even the storyline was or anything. It was yeah, it was it was OK. You know, it, it worked for what it was, I suppose. Um, but I think. I I enjoyed the way that the movie looked more than I enjoyed the actual storyline of this particular movie. Um, they did some really great visuals with it. Um, I really liked actually the opening scene when they're kind of explaining the story of the Blood Queen and the King Arthur and all of that. It was just very beautiful how they shot that scene. Um, um, it was just a, yeah, I mean, it just kind of really set up what the visuals were going to be throughout the movie. So it, I mean, it's kind of like a dark, almost like gothic feel to it, which was cool. So I did like that about it. Um, I'm a little bit conflicted on like how <laughs> they kind of, they jumped right into it. Like they told that story to like set up, you know, who the villain of the story was and a little bit of the elements throughout the story. But then it just sort of jumped right into, boom, this is Hellboy and, you know, he's fighting someone and this is what's going on. It just kind of, there was no setup for any of that, which it was good and bad because you're getting right into the action of it. You don't have to have a lot of exposition beforehand or whatever, but it was just kind of unexpected, I guess, that it was going to be very just, boom, you're right there in the world and you're seeing him, you know, do some fighting. It was very, you know, and then like one of his friends dies pretty much right at the beginning. And you're just like, oh, okay. So this kind of just went right into everything all the way. So I liked it, but I'm also kind of like still just a little bit thrown off by it because I didn't expect it to be that quick into it. But maybe it's a good thing, you know? So, um, yeah, I mean, and obviously the the reason to really watch this movie is for David Harbour because he was he was really funny and he did a really good job as um as hellboy you know he's like very quick-witted and you know but he also had like this sense of doom that he kept carrying around with him like almost like almost like an anti-hero type of thing which i guess obviously is the idea of it because he's the prince of hell if i'm thinking correctly right so <laughs> i think it's kind of 
yes just this thing so um but yeah i mean it, it was kind of funny also to just see like that complicated relationship that he had with his dad you know just the idea that of you know does he belong um you know why me of all these people why did you save me and not kill me and it just kind of made him seem more human and relatable um it didn't just feel like you know because he doesn't feel like he fits in you know and so you know, he just doesn't understand like what was so special about him. And it's just a very relatable side of Hellboy that, you know, given everything else that he is and what he can actually do, you just feel like he's not going to be that guy. <laughs> so it was just kind of interesting and cool to see that side of it. And I also just kind of liked how he played off of the other characters, like especially Alice, I think was the girl in the movie. Um, I really liked their dynamic and their relationship, um, which was also an interesting part of the whole not really like explaining too much backstory as to why they knew each other and all of that. They kind of go into a little bit, but you know, they don't feel like they have to do this huge setup with it to kind of get you to know what their relationship is. So that was kind of cool. And then, um, Oh, Daimyo, whatever his name is. Um, Daniel day Kim, I think is who that is. Yeah. He is also really good, super mysterious. And like, you're not sure if he's good or bad. And that was cool. And then, Mila Jovovich as the Blood Queen, also good. She's always, you know, an interesting person to play roles. <laughs> but she did this one really well. She's she's good as as being a villain, I think. So um yeah, I mean it was it was just okay. Like that I mean, I'll I'll go into a little bit more probably of what I don't really care for in the movie, I guess. But yeah, that's the things I did like about it. Um, you know, and not really having much to go off of as to what it was supposed to be about. Um, I was just kind of like, okay, well, it's fine. So that's my overall feelings of it, I suppose. <laughs> no, I, I do agree with a, a lot of what you said. Um, contrary to what like a lot of people believe, I'm, I'm a huge fan of the other two movies. And at the same time, um, I'm not completely versed in all of the Hellboy comics. I have read a bunch of them hit, you know, here and there. Um, but like I think this movie hits a lot of things kind of nicely. I do like uh David Harbour's uh Hellboy. I do like his characterization of the character and everything like that. I thought uh he did that really well. Um it's it is a big ish change from the Ron Perlman uh version of the character, but it it still fits with the aesthetic and the the tone they were going with this movie. I kinda liked how he was he was kind of whiny about everything, which was fun. <laughs> yeah, it was funny. Um, well, because he, Hellboy is kind of very much a, I don't want to say a disgruntled person, but he is very much a, you know, he, he does kind of slow play a lot. Like he's, you know, not quick to just dive into things. He, you know, you kind of have to give him that push type is of that thing. Is that kind of and how I, his character is in the comics then? Yeah. Yeah. He's, okay. you know, it, and it's more so as it goes on, he, he does become more but it's i do kind of like the reluctancy with everything and i do like like i said i liked how whiny he was like whenever you know ian mcshane's character would say something to him <laughs> he went oh, come on dad oh, wanna. <laughs> yeah I that, that was funny i liked it, it it fit for this and you know they brought in a lot of hellboy characters i like the fact that they changed it up from the uh original movies which feature liz and abe sapien as characters and those are you know very big huge characters for hellboy but i like how this one um brought in uh you know um alice and uh 
Oh, geez. What the hell is the other guy's name? Daimyo? Yes. Yeah. Um, like, I like how they brought in these, these other characters and, uh, you know, did a lot of that. I mean, they even did a nod to Lobster Johnson, who is a character in the comics, too. Yeah, which that's um, like a really... <laughs> I was like, what is this character? It was, it seemed very random because I feel like it's also a really terrible name for a hero. <laughs> but yeah, yeah that was it, an interesting it, weird it, thing. It's supposed to be like a 1940s type of thing. Um, and I liked the nod to that. I liked the fact they brought it in because that is something he's done before. Um, he has interacted with the ghost of Lobster Johnson and stuff like that. Um but yeah, whenever you have Alice and Ben in this movie, they are, you know, characters from the comics that uh, I, I like that they could add a new flavor to things. Um, the problem is I didn't like how they utilized so much in this. Uh, I didn't like how, honestly, I didn't like Ian McShane as as professor. Oh, really? Um, I yeah, thought he was pretty I good. Not, I didn't like it. He, it, he, he felt a little too uh, Ian McShane to me. Um, which is typically fine. I'm typically fine with Ian McShane being Ian McShane and things. Because um, Ian McShane as himself in American Gods is great. I even like it for like that single episode of Game of Thrones where Ian McShane is a Septon. Oh, I yeah. thought that was great. Um, typically, I really like him. like Or Ian McShane in the Wild Wild West, you know, from Deadwood. I love it. I just didn't like Ian McShane in this because... At no point did he really feel fatherly to Hellboy until yeah. like the end of the movie when he's given the speech to save this world, save the world. Yeah. And then he wants to say some fatherly things, but even then he's kind of being mean about it. <laughs> like the whole point of that diatribe is to be like, yeah, but I love you. So you, you can save the world instead of, and it comes across as like, I don't like you, but come on, bro. Don't end the world is kind of what that speech ends up feeling like. <laughs> Um, but no, I, I, I liked a lot of the looks of everything. I liked the look of Hellboy. Uh, it, this feels kind of like a little bit more of a punk rock Hellboy. Um, I liked a lot of the visuals when it came to the creatures and the monsters and everything like that. Um, it, yeah. And really quick on that, I, can we talk about Baba Yaga? <laughs> because that was the creepiest version of Baba Yaga that I think I've seen. We, we will talk about that. But before we get to that, I do want to disagree with you when you were talking about the opening visuals. When they were doing the whole thing with Naimu and the King Arthur and all that other stuff, and you're talking about how they like looked really nice, mm -hmm. I completely disagree because what the fuck was going up with Merlin's face in that? Um, <laughs> he had this weird crustiness on his face that was just hmm. super awkward, and I don't know why. It bugged me. It looked like he just had a weird skin condition. And I don't remember that. You were, you were supposed to just be like, "Oh, that's Merlin with a beard and a skin condition," you know. The typical character traits of Merlin. <laughs> it just like, yeah, the, the cinematography and the design of the beginning sequence was nice, but the actual visuals and like costumes and even King Arthur just looked kind of dumb. Like the witches look kind of dumb. It's just like, it, was, it seemed really weird. Like it was a weird afterthought. Like they were like, oh, we're doing some reshoots. We got to clarify some stuff. And they were like, oh, let's film this. And they're filming it and they're filming it. And they're like, oh, fuck, we don't have any costumes. Uh, I don't know. Just go down to the local costume shop and get the Merlin and King Arthur Halloween costumes, you know, and get those and put them on. Like, it just felt really weird. Um, <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, we can talk about the the Baba Yaga. The, the Baba Yaga is kind of something that 
plays intermittently in Hellboy and stuff like that. See, but my problem, and it, aesthetically speaking, I liked the way the whole thing was kind of set up. Um, I, I, I did feel they went, they tried to lean a little too heavily into, oh, let's make the Baba Yaga just so insanely grotesque. <laughs> yeah. Like, it just, it, it felt like they were just trying to gross you out instead of actually portraying something scary. Because the Baba Yaga should be scary, and it just felt like they were trying to gross you out, which mm. is something that gets blurred a lot in horror these days. You know, people talk about the Saw movies like they're scary, and they're not. The Saw movies are gross. Like, they're not scary, though. They're not meant to actually legitimately instill fear in you. They're just meant to make you cringe and score me and, like, ew, type <laughs> of stuff. Yeah. And it felt like they did that with the Baba Yaga, and it was a little little weird for me i mean I, it, for me it was weird that they even put the baba yaga in this movie because the baba yaga is typically more uh aligned with rasputin in the comics and they only kind of cursorily touch on rasputin in this movie who you know rasputin is one of the first villains you uh see him uh hellboy fight in the comics like the, the first story arc is with rasputin and so without having Rasputin in this movie, it felt weird to have the Baba Yaga in this movie. Like to me in the comics, they kind of go hand in hand. So mm -hmm. I was a little, I was a little weirded out by that. Um, but I mean, that's kind of an, another big aspect of this movie I didn't like is it went and it's like they found just piece of lore and after lore, after lore, after lore from the comics. And they just went, we're shoving all of this in this movie. Yeah. I mean, this this story takes parts from like eight or nine different Hellboy stories. Like none of it, and it's they don't they do a very very bad job of cohesively trying to put that together. Mm. It's yeah, it's it's weird, and I think I know why that happened. I found out some information afterwards, and we'll get into that too. But that's just something that was so jarring to me. Is they hit the Baba Yaga, then they have. A lot of the stuff with Hellboy's name being what can control him. And then they have the aspects of, or his true name is what can control him. And then they have, then they kind of cursorily bring up his origins. And then they bring up the other um, groups, kind of like the BPRD from the other countries vaguely. And then, you know, then they bring in the Baba Yaga and then they have Nimue the Blood Queen. And then they have his connection to Arthur Pendragon which I don't know if I said that, but it, that then they have the whole story arc of him with the, the changeling. And then they have, and it's just like, well, yeah, it's, it's like, they just went onto like Hellboy's IMDb and they <laughs> went through like their, his history section and they were like, Oh, that's cool. We're putting that in. Oh, that's cool. We're going <laughs> to put that in too. Yeah. They and, did. It was a lot of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not like a lot of that is also all at the beginning of Hellboy's story. Like some of it's like a journey. Like you took all these aspects of from Hellboy's history and then threw them all into one movie and also has then omitted other characters. And that's what's so weird. Like you wanted to put all this stuff in. And like I said, I appreciated that they, they did characters other than Liz and Abe and did all this stuff. But then you want to throw in all these random parts of Hellboy. And then it feels weird that you left out Abe and Liz. Like what? What is going on? <laughs> like, if they wanted to do a series of movies and like touch on all these things, that'd be cool. But I think maybe this version of Hellboy and the way they were wanting to get stuff into it feels like maybe they should have done a TV series, like a Netflix series, on it instead. 
Yeah, I would have actually been cool with that, too, if they had done it as a series. But I wonder if part of it, and maybe you know this in your research, but I wonder if they just, they weren't sure that there would be any sequels or anything. So they wanted to just jam pack everything into one. I have no idea. Well, my understanding of what happened with this movie, and originally I thought it was all Neil Marshall's fault. And for anybody that didn't know, Neil Marshall is a very capable director, depending on what's going on. Um, he directed one of my all-time favorite horror movies, and it's a movie I've never heard anybody say anything bad about because it is so good. And I'm sure there are people that don't like it out there, but I've never actually heard anybody say it was in The Descent. So Neil Marshall made The Descent, and then he followed it up with this movie Doomsday, which is like this post-apocalyptic world and all this other stuff. And that movie sucked. But for the most part, he's done a lot of TV shows. He's done some Game of Thrones, and he's done some Black Sails and some Hannibal and... He's just been doing like episodes of TV shows here and there, you know, and then all of a sudden he comes back with this and then it comes to like show that like, um, I thought that was his problem is he didn't know how to like actually sustain a world. He could do worlds that were already created, but even though this is a created world from the comics, I thought, you know, but he's having to reestablish it as a movie world and a new version of this world. And I thought maybe that was his fault. It turns out there were so many problems behind the scenes on this movie that it's ridiculous. Really? Apparently producers, producers were fighting him constantly on the script and like he would tell the actors to do things one way and producers would come in and say, do it a different way. Hmm. And then the, they would do it a different way. And then he'd be like, well, and then he'd be like, oh, no, we're not doing that again. Like the producers would be like, oh, no, we're moving on. Like what? they wouldn't let him make the movie. Apparently, David Harbour at one point walked off set and went into his trailer because he refused to film, do another take on a scene. Um, Interesting. Apparently, apparently, Ian McShane and David Harbour with some of the producers were changing the script behind the scenes, too. Really? Yeah. It's it's kind of crazy. Apparently, then they uh, they blocked uh, Neil Marshall from doing the edits. Um, he had no say when they just started doing the editing process of the movie and the final hmm. version of it and stuff like that. Like, yeah, even so much so that that tree that you were like at the beginning of the movie, like the design yeah. of that tree, they were fighting about that at one point. Curious. Hmm. Yeah. It's so when you start hearing some of these things, you're just like, oh. Well, yeah, no wonder it's a mess. They're changing the script. So I'm wondering if that's where a lot of these extra scenes and characters and stuff like that came from. That would make you know? sense. Yeah. Because otherwise, it's like, I mean, yeah, it just feels too clunky. So, yeah, I mean, that would make sense if that's why. I wonder how, like, <laughs> I wonder if they just, I mean, because they kind of set it up for it to be a sequel. But I wonder if because of all the problems they had, like, maybe they won't do it. I don't know. Oh, no. Well, it's not even all the problems they had. It's the fact that this movie made no fucking money that it's going to end up, mm. you know, destroying it, you know. But yeah, no, supposedly they had just like a ton of behind the scenes things and, you know, they were doing all this stuff and there was no real uh, cohesiveness like with any of the units and stuff like that. And I mean, it's and I could I could totally see why if you're a director on set and you're trying to get all this stuff done and. You know, then you have essentially people that are your bosses are coming in, going around you, talking to your actors and telling right. them they don't have to listen to you. Like, well, yeah, no wonder it's a fucking problem left and right. It's just one of those ones where it gets kind of, you know, it gets kind of murky when you start having a lot of that stuff. And, you know, who really knows what to do with stuff like that? Like, I don't, I don't, you know, 
like once I started hearing a lot of these stories and maybe they were doing it because they were like, you know, they didn't trust Neil Marshall or something like that. But I'm like, if you don't trust the guy, then why hire him? Like it just becomes this thing where it's, yeah, you know, if you're going to hire a director, you say, fuck it and hire the director. Like you just let them do their movie. Like you're hiring them because you, you're supposed to trust what they're doing. And, you know, Marvel's had this a couple of times. Marvel had this on Ant-Man with Edgar Wright. That's why Edgar Wright left halfway through the movie and stuff like that. But like it's there, these people aren't Marvel. Like they, they can't just then go find another director to do it or they don't have capable enough producers to sit there and say, you know, well, if you're not liking the way we're doing this, then leave. Like that should have right. been the way they were handled. Like they should have done it that way at least then. And I'm surprised they didn't. They, yeah. Yeah. And it's so when you hear all these things and like, you know, and it's, it's weird to hear something like that about David Harbour going and doing something like that because he seems like a really nice person. And, but it kind of makes yeah. me wonder if that was because of all the weird directions getting coming from producers and, and the director, you know, when he's getting two different sets of directions constantly and then they're wanting to redo it and redo it and redo it and redo it. I honestly, I'd almost probably want to do the same thing, especially when I'm in full makeup like that. Like, yeah. And I could I understand. Like, no, fuck off. Yeah, like I could understand because I agree. I think he seems like he's a really cool, like nice person. But I could see him being someone that if he's like frustrated about something happening on set, he's not going to hold back kind of thing. You know, like I could see him being that way, too, where he's like, you know, just kind of let's cut to the chase. Let's get down to it, because otherwise I'm not going to do this right now. I could see him being that way about it, you know, but um, I mean, I honestly wouldn't blame him, too, though, because that would be so frustrating, especially if. There's already this huge like weight of this movie anyway, just because so many people were like, no, don't do, don't redo a Hellboy because it's not going to be the same, you know, unless it's, um, who's the director? I'm forgetting his name. Um, it's, it's Guillermo del Toro and like, yeah, Ron yeah. So, and it was like, if, if Guillermo del Toro and Ron Perlman weren't doing it, people were like, why are we doing this? So there was already that weight of like, well, if we're going to do it, we might as well like, we really got to do it well, which is why having the story be all over the place, it's just bad timing to have that happen if you're trying to do a reboot like that um, with that stigma of, you know, uh-oh, they're going to be comparing it to these other ones because that's what you do. So, um, and yeah, so I, I mean, I could see that it would just be a really frustrating process too because it's like, okay, so we're doing this one day and now we're doing this. We're, what are we doing with this? How is this going to fit together? You know, like I would be frustrated too. Yeah. Yeah. And like, um, I totally get like, and a lot of that makes sense too, especially like to me, we, a, a friend of the podcast, uh, Alejandro even said on a Facebook post we did on for one of the trailers for Hellboy even says not my Hellboy. <laughs> um, yeah. I remember that. And so it, you know, so, it, you know, you have people like that, like you, you can't, you can't sit there and then do that with this movie. Like this movie was a little too important for like the viability of Hellboy movies going forward, right? To actually fall apart like that, like this should be one of those movies where you hire a director you want and you say you make a movie, you better do a damn good job of it, but you're gonna make it. Like I don't know how any I've never really right. heard a story where producers and directors were fighting each other constantly and you know going through tons of script changes and changing and changing and bullshit and bullshit and the movie work out. Yep. I mean, one of the only times I know that there was weird fighting between directors and producers and the movie ended up being great is the movie Jaws mm. because I know there was a lot of fighting 
between the producers and, and Steven Spielberg, especially about the ending of that movie, the whole like exploding fuel tank thing or the the exploding tank thing, exploding the shark. Like Steven Spielberg was like, that's stupid. And they were like, no, you're <laughs> going to do it. And especially when they already had so many problems on set anyway, with Bruce the shark constantly malfunctioning because they were shooting it in the ocean. Mm-hmm. And it was done in the ocean. Like they were having so many problems anyway. But I mean, they finally ended up doing that ending and it works. And I think that's because Steven Spielberg is a good enough director to take something he doesn't like and still fold it into what he's doing to make it work. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so it's one of those things like, well, of course it works in a Steven Spielberg movie. Like, yeah, it wouldn't work anywhere, anywhere else. I don't think anyone right. else submit to a producer and still blend it into what they're doing. And I mean, granted, this is early Steven Spielberg. This is what one of his first movies ever. But I mean, he had the full confidence of uh, Sidney Sheinberg for this movie, you know. So he was able to make it work because they were like, you're going to do this ending, but we still have confidence that you can do it type of situation. Instead of this, where they're like, oh, you're going to do this because we don't think you can do it right. Well, then why the fuck do you hire the guy? Mm. It's a fucking mess. Like, why would you even do that? And yeah, so it's like the producers of this movie set this movie up from failure almost from day one, it feels like. And it's it's one of those weird situations. It's kind of like, you know, it's it depends on who you talk to about the, the Ghostbusters reboot from a few years back, where, you know, as soon as it was announced what they were doing, so many fans jumped on and was like, fuck this, fuck this, fuck this, fuck this, mm-hmm. fuck this. And, and then the movie they release... While it wasn't bad, it was just wasn't out of the park. And while that is a huge unfair standard, like that's what you have to set yourself up for, unfortunately, in in nowadays culture. If you're going to do something that people automatically will lash out before they even see it, you have to knock it out of the park. Or otherwise, it's going to get hit relentlessly still. And, and I understand that's, that's a terrible part of our culture. That's a terrible, um, aspect of of the way online culture has kind of taken over things but it's unfortunately what it is and while i think that ghostbusters movie did an infinitely better job than hellboy did Hellboy really missed the mark like i don't know anyone (laughs) that ultimately liked this movie yeah it's and that's the problem is like there are people that like the ghostbusters reboot so at least it found an audience you know, it might not have been what it was supposed to be or anything like that, but ultimately it found an audience, you know, because I have heard stories about like people like, you know, people with daughters and stuff like that, like thought it was really cool that like their daughters, like one to now dress up like Ghostbusters for Halloween mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So it, it found an audience. So at least it justifies itself because it, it, it found an audience that it struck a chord with that didn't have that before. So that's cool. Which is then it serves a purpose. Yeah, and it is interesting though because I haven't heard anybody really say many good things about this movie either. But it's one of those situations like we've talked about in previous um episodes where the like if you look at their Rotten Tomatoes score, 14% on Rotten Tomatoes audience score is 61% right now, which is kind of surprising because I didn't really think audiences were going to like it that much either since everyone had that you know, not my Hellboy type thing. So I, I'm surprised by it, but it's that's such a huge difference in, you know, in audience versus critics on that. See, yeah, that is crazy. I didn't know that the audience score was actually that high right? on this because like you said, I haven't heard anybody say a damn good thing about this movie, you know, on all these other ones where we've had 
disagreements. I mean, we've done an entire podcast based on the whole idea of fans and critics disagreeing with each other. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like I hated the movie Venom, but I could at least see on my Facebook that there were a few people that liked Venom. You know, I mean, I and we talked about like what Star Wars The Last Jedi. I liked Star Wars The Last Jedi, but then I could see on my Facebook that there were people that did not like Star Wars The Last Jedi. Yeah. I haven't seen a single fucking post saying this movie's good from anyone. And maybe the more the the ones who liked it are just being less vocal about it. Maybe <laughs> it could be that. But yeah, I mean, I I didn't expect that either. Like, I'm actually very surprised at how high that audience score is right now. And I don't know if maybe it is. Maybe it really is just because of David Harbour's portrayal of it. I mean, is it similar to how Ron Perlman portrayed that character? Because I didn't watch those movies. No, it's not. It's very different. Um, okay. Well, it's not very different per se, because they both encapsulate characteristics of the character. It's just both of them do a very good job of fitting their version of Hellboy into the movie that's being made. Okay. If that makes sense. And so I think that's why you're going to have more of an affinity for Ron Perlman's, because those are better movies. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's going to be one of those things where if his version of Hellboy fits very well into those movies and they're better movies, then obviously people are going to like them and they're going to like him more. Right. Whereas then my take of this is David Harbour did a good job and it was a shitty movie though, because (laughs) the first, the first act and a half kind of actually has a good flow to it. I kind of, I was really on board for a lot of that. Like probably right up to where he meets Daimyo and Alice, like that part of it. Um, a little bit after that. Yeah, okay. I was still I was still on board with it. It's just when they started doing like, you know, then they went to Baba Yaga and then they went to this and that. And then he's like, oh, he's a descendant of Arthur. He's the king of England. He's now like Anumrama. And now he's going to start the apocalypse. And, oh, we're going to combine all the powers of the underworld into this changeling character. And then we're going to have him talk to his dead dad. And we're ending the movie. Which that was another question I had is that whole him being, you know, a descendant of King Arthur thing in the comics too? Yes, it is. Oh, interesting. It is something from the comics, but it's something you find out fairly deep into the comics. It's not like a normal thing. It's not like just something like they know from the beginning. Like it's, that's what's so weird about this. Yeah. Cause like for me, in my perspective, I thought that was kind of random to put that in it. Or I guess maybe just the way that they executed that setup wasn't the best because I was just like, okay, well, that felt like it came out of nowhere. Granted, I don't, like I said, know the backstory, but it just kind of felt like how they did that that storyline in this movie was very, um, like, it just felt more out of nowhere. There wasn't a whole build up to it or anything that really hinted at that being anything until up to like, oh, let me explain that this is what it is kind of thing. So it was, it, it kind of just felt a little bit out of place for like how they executed it from my perspective. Well, we'll, we'll put it this way. So when you re- really want to break it down, Hellboy started in 1994. Okay. And so volume, volumes eight or nine around that time in the comics of the trade paperbacks, which are roughly six issue collections of just singular story arcs and stuff like that. Um, those came out around 2008 and 2010. Okay. The around that time is whenever they say he's related to Arthur. Hmm. So okay. Hellboy had been a character for 16 years before they reveal that part. Oh wow! And yeah, and this they do in the first movie. 
Like, yeah. and I think that's another reason why the, the original Hellboy movies kind of work better than this, because the first Hellboy movie really does more or less a version of the first story arc of Hellboy. You know, it's, they're very much doing the stories with Rasputin. It's so stuff that happens very early in the comics. And so they really set a good foundation with that. And where this, mm. like I said, it pulls from stuff from all over Hellboy, which, like I said, started in 1994. So they're taking, what, 25 years worth of comics and stuff and just kind of randomly pick and choose random fucking things to then throw in here, you know? And yeah. And that's what I think is so jarring about it. Like, and then they have the weird aesthetics of like, they have a very specific aesthetic tone for this movie. And then all of a sudden they do that whole flashback to the Nazis doing the ritual to, you know, bring him to life and all this other stuff or to, you know, to summon him. And when they do that, they go into that weird aesthetic of it looking like a campy 1940s comic for that entire scene. Mm -hmm. And it's just so fucking jarring. Like, it's one of those things where you can accept that in a comic book when you're reading it on pages. That makes some sense. Like, aesthetically speaking, that can still flow, but it didn't flow in the movie. Mm -hmm. Like, all of a sudden, you know, you've got this, like, very dark, gritty world, and then all of a sudden, you've got a Nazi with 3D glasses on, and, you know, Rasputin just looking like a punk rock kid and stuff, and it just was very weird. You know, and then, like you said, then they throw in Lobster Johnson into all this, and it just feels a little weird, you know? Because, like yeah. I said, it really is, like, they just were just trying to, you know, choose all these things. Like, I'm so fucking tired of Hellboy movies, and I'll, I'll give the first one a pass because it at least fits. But, like, I'm, I'm t so tired of the default being, oh, they're going to throw in, you know, Hellboy's like prince of dark like the prince of hell aesthetic mm -hmm. like his um oh fuck um the anung anrama like version of hellboy and they just kind of throw it in there and i'm like why it feels like such an afterthought in this movie mm. or it feels like they wanted to do it just so they could have the cool visuals of it because it's a very cool looking character like that you know he's got the full horns and the floating you know flaming crown and you know it's a cool aesthetic but it just felt so fucking forced in this movie you know, and it really feels like they did it just to have the cool visuals with it. You know, like if they were really wanting to go into some aspects of that, I think it would have been really kind of cool to, you know, maybe touch on the fact that he technically always has that crown. See, that's a really cool aspect of the character that they never jump into. And I think that would have been a cool version of this hmm. if they had because uh, that crown is always there. It's yeah. just whenever he's not in full form, it's 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 invisible. Interesting. Like, maybe touch on that because, like, there is a group of people that in the comics that try to steal the crown from him so they can gain power and stuff like that. And I think that would have been a cool thing to do. Hmm. Um, you know, there's all these like cool aspects of the lore that haven't been touched on that would have been a better way to do it instead of kind of loosely going back to something else. Like, you know, we've already seen a version of this with, you know, the first Hellboy movie. We see that version of Hellboy already. We've seen that mentioned several times in the second one when it comes to prophecies of him being the the beast of the apocalypse, him being that world destroyer character. I, I like the fact in Hellboy 2 they don't actually make that a, a um, like a big point as to show it again and stuff like that, but they allude to it because that is ultimately supposed to be his destiny and stuff. And, and in this movie, it's just like they went straight into it 
and the, the reasons never felt right, you know, and then they bring him out of it by, you know, doing the whole King Arthur thing just so they can have him wield Excalibur and have him kill that witch lady with it, you know, because they were like, mm-hmm. oh, the weapons of man can't do that. And they were like, oh, but he has Excalibur. I was like, come on. This isn't the 1950s. <laughs> you don't have to do that. You know, like, oh, I'm going to use my Excalibur sword to kill you then. Right. Like moment. You don't have to have that. And for also the thing is, is the man has the right hand of doom, his stone hand. Like, I think it would have been a cooler thing if they didn't go down the Arthur Pendragon route and have him be the king of England, which, like I said, is comic accurate, but just felt forced in this. If they had her say this stuff to him, like, oh, he, he can't stop me and all this other stuff. And he like punches her fucking head off with the stone hand because that would work. <laughs> Yeah, because it's not, you know, a weapon made by man. So that would have worked. Yeah. And it's, yes, it is a supernatural weapon. And plus, it's kind of, it would be a cool scene if he just punches her fucking head off. She's in the middle of talking and he's just like, shut up. And he punches her. Yeah. Yeah. That would, and that would have been like a little funny moment also, which would fit for Hellboy. It would fit, especially in this movie, it would fit because they had some joking, or not joking, but some humorous kind of violence to some of these things. Yeah. And that would have fit if he just like, she was like talking, you can't, and he just punches her head off. <laughs> and then he just looks at his hand and does that like little hand flex thing that he does. Yeah. And that would have been great. And it just, this movie didn't, like, I think that was one of its other problems is it didn't know if it wanted to be funny or did it want to be like just straight out funny? Did it want to have a dark humor or did it want to be serious? Yeah. It wanted all of that, but kind of just fumbled through all of it. Yeah. Like, it never really f- struck a balance, you know? And on top of that, the way they were doing the whole like medium, like talking to ghost things and like doing the, like the protoplasm out of the mouth and everybody was like half naked, scarred intestine monsters mm-hmm. when they were doing that. That just looked dumb. I mean, the first time they did it in the movie, when they did it with that, um, with that seer, with that lady. Yeah, that was wasn't weird. bad. Well, that one to me didn't feel bad. It didn't look as bad. But when they did it, did it with Ian McShane at the end of the movie, <laughs> looked terrible. Yeah. It's something about the aesthetic of it just looked so like plasticky and weird. And it reminded me so much of like the visuals um, from The Mummy Returns um, with the Scorpion King in it, where you know, you've got some good visuals throughout the movie, and then all of a sudden at the end, it's just this weird, weird visual that just <laughs> texturally and like even the lighting didn't seem right. It just everything about it looked wrong. And it kind of feels like that was like an afterthought type of thing. Like they just wanted to figure out a way to do it. And they they did it and it just felt weird. Like that wasn't the game plan from the, the get go. It just, yeah. It, and that's, I guess, the problem with this movie is it doesn't have a singular vision it doesn't have a singular uh thought process to it it just kind of goes and it doesn't really stop until the end (laughs) yeah and it's and then like when you go and look at it later or like i said when i found it later why it just doesn't uh you know it 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 works like or it doesn't work in this movie like but when you find out why whenever you have like essentially would be like at least five different people trying to shove their vision into this into one movie yeah yeah and it feels like that it feels like five different people were just shoving their visions in instead of trying to incorporate them into each other yeah like too many people wanted to steer it yeah too many cooks in the kitchen 
Mm-hmm. And I, I just was, I was reading this interesting review that someone put, which I think is, it's a pretty accurate um, thing to say. It says, um, this guy, Kevin Ranson, he says, a clear effort was made to showcase all the things that Hellboy's world could become as a franchise. Uh, many may see this as merely another overblown spectacle. Others will see it as the guilty pleasure it was intended to be. I think that's a pretty accurate thing because I think a lot of people going into this movie are like, yeah, it'll just be a fun movie, a fun action movie to watch. And so I think that that's a pretty accurate um, description of of kind of what this movie is, you know? Oh, yeah, definitely. Especially the third act. Like, I can't I can't stress how much that this movie is kind of a fun ride. It is. At least halfway through it. And I think that's maybe, why maybe I didn't hate it, you know? Yeah, it's 55 to 60% of this movie is a fun ride. And then they went, hey, you know all that stuff you like in Hellboy, with the exception of some of these main characters, but just in general, all the stuff you love, we're shoving it all into the last 40% of this movie. Yeah. All of it. Just mm-hmm. every bit of it. Does it fit? Nope. We're shoving it the fuck in anyway. <laughs> but I mean, I guess that's because it is actually, it's fun for whatever reason, as you know, all over the place as it is. It's fun. And I think, like I said, like, I don't, I think that might be why I don't hate the movie. I don't think it's the worst movie I've ever seen. You know what I mean? But it's, and plus, like, it might be to my advantage that maybe I didn't have anything to compare it to before. But at the same time, I was like, you know, I, it's, I mean, it's significantly better than Venom, if we're being honest about it. And people loved that one because it was a fun ride as well. So I, I think, I mean, I would choose this one over that any day. But yeah, I mean, it's, there's just something about it that you're not like, you know, I see the attempt that you were making and some of it paid off and some of it didn't, you know? See, I was trying to think, you said this is better than Venom and I have notoriously gave Venom a low score and. Oh, you think this is worse? No, no, I don't. I just hadn't thought of that though. (laughs) I just hadn't thought of, is this better than Venom? Because I try not to let Venom get into my thoughts enough to compare other movies to it. Um. I still don't get it's, why critics like it better, but whatever. <laughs> uh, it's still, it's a weird aggregate score thing. I think uh, I'll, I'll look and see at some point. I mean, we probably should look and see what the Metacritic difference was yeah. between the two, because I don't think Hellboy is actually doing bad on a Metacritic level. It's just on an aggregate level. It's bad. See, all right. It's 31% on Rotten Tomatoes or on Metacritic. Hellboy is? Yeah. Okay. And I don't, I'll look up what Venom is on it, but I mean. Oh, Venom's a 35, so most people are saying they're roughly the same thing. Okay. For the most part, people are saying they're the same, which that's fine. I mean, the, where Venom, I guess, lucks out is the fact that, and I think where this movie gets hit with it, is it doesn't have two other movies to compare it to directly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. I mean, and I'll pull that up too. It's like whenever you, when you look at Venom, you're not comparing it to uh, other movies. You know, you're not, I mean, you, you loosely are, but like. The closest is just, yeah, the closest is just like the portrayal of Venom in the Spider-Man movie, but that's about it. Yeah. But I mean, you'll just compare it to comic book movies in general. Right. When you look at this on Metacritic, the first Hellboy is a 72. The second movie is a 78. Hmm. So those are positively received critically movies. And now the critics are saying this. Oh, man. Yeah, that would hurt it, I bet. (laughs) That's kind of rough. Yeah. So like when you have them, and that's why, is it has those direct comparisons where Venom doesn't have that. They'll just compare it to the comic book mythos as a whole, you know? So I can actually see why there is that differential in that, or there'd be like a four point difference in that. 
it's just because you're you're going to compare it. and it's that's human nature and that's what we all do you know you all we all like to think we're better than that but we're you know we would say something like like i'm i'm famous for going out there and saying the toy story 3 shouldn't have beat how to train your dragon for best animated picture mm-hmm. and because it's not if you look at toy story 3 by itself and compare it to the first how to train your dragon movie toy story 3 is not as good of a movie singularly is not as good of a movie but you cannot watch toy story 3 without thinking of toy stories 1 and 2 very true and in doing that it elevates it and you know i can like i said i i I hate that that happens but i understand why that happened yeah because you can't do it you're thinking of this movie you're you're still going to end up feeling things from the first two movies about these characters you know this is the third movie of characters with all these so you're still going to have the warm and fuzzies from one and two they'll carry on into this movie you can't separate the two unless you've seen three without seeing the other ones you know and yeah it's 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 the same thing it's and it's kind of the same way with this like unless you haven't seen the other hellboys like you mm-hmm. you're not going to be able to watch this and not still think about those and like subconsciously compare them you know you're still going to have that happen mhm and and i do think that's why you are a little bit more positively receiving of this movie a little bit more you know? forgiving yeah <laughs> Yeah, because you don't you don't have that basis, and you know, and that's that's not necessarily a bad thing because I do think it's bad when they make a movie just for fans, and you have to have something wide enough and a big enough base within the movie story itself to actually latch on to other people. People can say whatever they want about these MCU movies and stuff like that, but the thing is, is they're not making those just for comic book fans. Yeah, they're making them for everybody. So does it lose some of the nuance from some of these stories in the comics? Sure. And, but at the same time, are they really suffering because of that? No, they're not. Yeah. You know, and the MCU has done a very good job of making it to where you can know nothing about a character going into it and you can watch a movie and go, this Hellboy movie does not feel like that's really possible. It feels like it's wanting you to have some other source of Hellboy knowledge before you watch mm-hmm. it. I mean, and it shouldn't do that because it's a reboot of the series. Yeah, I mean, and I think yeah, it it seems like the biggest offender here is like there's there's good story behind Hellboy. Like there's a lot of interesting stories and interesting storylines in that, but the way the movie was done did not tell the story well. That's what I think. Yeah, and I think I said like I said it was too many cooks in the kitchen and they all just wanted their shining Hellboy moment in this movie. You know, I personally feel like you could have done without Naimu the Blood Queen and kind of just ended up having Baba Yaga be the main villain in this and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. There's so many other ways they could have done this. Yeah. You know, it just felt like I said, they wanted to cram so much in here. And then like half the times it was explained and the other halves it wasn't. Like I know this changeling character is a character that kind of comes and goes throughout the comics. He's a reoccurring character and stuff like that. Oh, he was annoying. I haven't read a ton of this stuff with him. And, you know, I haven't read a ton with him in it. And so... It's very weird that they kind of give that weird explanation with him of he was a changeling that was a baby and the fairies put him there. So they stole the baby, but then they swapped him back and Hellboy had made him have to be a pig monster for the rest of his life. And that's why he hates Hellboy. Maybe that is the bulk of his character. Maybe it is. It still feels a little incomplete, especially with how in depth they go in about the giants. 
and stuff. Yeah. At the beginning, like when they're doing it, like they're like, oh, the giants have been around, and they, you know they keep coming back to life. And that's why we, and they like do this whole spiel on the giants, and they're a factor for what ten minutes in this movie. Yeah. And this changing characters around for ninety percent of it, and you don't really understand why, other than he didn't get to live the life of a child. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he, he didn't get to grow up a child, and but why was he a pig monster? Like I said, that could be in the comics. Maybe I just haven't read that issue. That's fine. Put it in the fucking movie then. <laughs> like, why are you half explaining this and then other expl- like over explaining other things that don't ultimately matter? It's just so fucking disjointed. Like, uh, I, like I said, for a long time, and not a long time, this movie's only been out like a week. For a lot of this week, I really thought it was Neil Marshall's fault. I was like, Neil Marshall, you're a fuck up. <laughs> But then I hear all these other stories and I'm like, man, I cannot blame this guy anymore. And now yeah. I wish there was like a Neil Marshall cut. Like I wish there was a Neil Marshall cut where he gets to put it together and just do his thing. You know? Yeah. But the thing is, is they probably didn't even film some of the scenes he needs for his story. And, you know, it's, it's just really crazy with all this. And I, I just wish it had been better because like you brought up earlier, this can't be the one you dropped the ball on. Like, this is the one you need to knock out of the park. And the, it's sequel. You can fuck that up. That's fine. But this one needed to be the one you knocked out of the park because they're not going to get a sequel to this. Yeah. They're not. This movie has made just barely any fucking money. And it's, I say that it's still like made millions and millions of dollars. But in the context of its budget and things like that, this movie hadn't made shit. And they're not going to do another one. So we're going to have to wait like another five, six, seven years. For somebody else to reboot this franchise. Yeah. I mean, and that is unfortunate because like, I don't know, there was just, it's weird because there wasn't necessarily hype. There was hype, but there wasn't at the same time. It was like a lot of buzz and a lot of talk about it, but not a lot of people excited about it. So just for the effort put into it and just what the, the, just the mess that had to be (laughs) that surrounded it for the mess that surrounded it and just what it had to live up to. It's just you almost feel like it was doomed from the beginning <laughs> in a way. So, which is unfortunate because it would have been really cool if, if they could have really just surprised everybody with it. Because like I said, and obviously only seeing this one, there was a lot of potential in it to just be really good and really cool. And they just didn't take advantage of the things that they should have in this movie, you know? Yeah. And you know, I thought they did utilize them upping the the rating to an R, uh, kind of useful with the way they you know incorporated the language and and some of the violence yeah. into it. But I didn't like how they went a little over the top with the violence. The cool thing about when they do violence or gore in the Hellboy comics is it's kind of like a splash. It's a you know they do it just for like this color effect of red. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like bam, here's some of this, and then they kind of move on. And then this, they kind of they let it linger too long. Yeah. It was just like, you know, there were times where it felt like the blood was just like a splash. It was just to to give an effect. But in this, it just, then there are other scenes where it's just like it lingers and it lingers and it lingers. And you're just like, why? Like, it's not necessary. We get it. You're violent. Like, come on. (laughs) And it's just like, also, like, after that fight sequence with the giants, I really did not care about many of the other action sequences in this movie because it, it felt like they were kind of mm-hmm. coming at us at a breakneck pace. Mm-hmm. Like it was just like sequence and sequence and sequence and sequence with like this monster and then that monster and then this and then that and then this. And I'm just like, okay, like 
when you know when you're just going from one thing to another like it all blends together at a certain point and i just don't care <laughs> yeah it's it's like what me and justin talked about in pet cemetery and what we talked about in other movies like with tension in a horror film like they didn't break up the monotony of these fight sequences enough they did at the beginning you know you had the the vampire fight which was dumb but whatever and then the giant fight there was like there was that gap there was some space between it and it felt like later on they just the space kept lessening the amount of space because you know they had a specific runtime they wanted for this movie and they had to throw all ninety thousand plot lines they wanted to throw in to last 40 minutes so it's just bam 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 everything was so rushed at the end they like the pacing just felt incredibly janky at that point and yeah it's just everything about this movie is just kind of like a manual on how studio executives just need to get the fuck out of a movie like <laughs> if you're not going to hire a director you trust just don't fucking hire that director and hire somebody else or if right. you want a director that can just take all your notes and kind of fold that into a cohesive narrative then get a director that does that shit like that's the thing is marvel like during phase one got a lot of bigger name directors like they have very unique perspectives to do their phase one and then their phase two movies were kind of a little bit more pain by the number yeah they were just like we're gonna get some no-name directors and we're just gonna tell them what to do and they'll do it and that's what phase two was like so if you want that type of director they exist i mean that's kind of how the Russo brothers started out. I mean, they were mainly known for directing episodes of Community before they directed Captain America uh, Winter Soldier. Which is so crazy. And yeah, and then now they directed Infinity War and Endgame and Civil War. They've directed even huger movies. The ones that are better, too, and, <laughs> of the yeah, you like know, they, Marvel they, movies. They tend to be some of them. Yeah, they do. And they were, like I said, they those brothers just kind of directed Community episodes before that. So those do exist, ones that can do those things, but then also tell their own narratives. They exist out there. So then go find them. Like, if you want that director that you're just going to be able to tell what to do and they do it, go find one of them. They, they exist. They are out there. They probably would have been cheaper than Neil Marshall because he's been in the industry for a minute or two. Like, so why? Why go that route if you're just going to fuck it up? Like, there, there is a version of the system that works. Like, if you want a director that you can boss around, go find them. If you want someone, you can kind of give them the vague outline and then go go make this movie and they could do it. They exist. Right. Like, so don't get don't get one telling them it's going to be one thing, then trying to do the other and then think it's going to fucking work. Yeah. But so when it comes down to it, what's your recommendation and score? Oh, boy. See, this is the hard part because I don't have the other movies to compare it to. So... I'm going to give the score of this, I'll, I'll say like a 58 Hellboy ambushes by the water out of 100. That's going to be my official score of this, you know, keeping in mind that I haven't seen the others and I don't know much of the backstory of Hellboy. Um, I mean, really, I, mm, I feel like I, I would recommend it just for the sake of visuals and for the sake of david harbour as hellboy because he really was entertaining as that character um i think i do think this movie is also going to make the the girl that plays alice and i'm not remembering her name off the top of my head i think it's going to help her kind of get a lot more roles because she was really great in her role as well um but i mean just the like i was saying the big issue really is you know the overall script was not great or just how they executed the script was not great and now you explaining why 
more so that that's probably the case. It makes more sense because otherwise I was going to just say that it feels just like a little flat and uninspired. You know, it just kind of felt like, yeah, we just want to do these things just to put them in there for no reason. You know, it just felt very clunky and um, just they just wanted to do a lot of things with it. And yeah, it didn't seem like it had a very clear direction. And now obviously we know why. But um, I mean, I would say, yeah, it's it's worth a watch if you want to see David Harbour as Hellboy, because I do think that he he did the best that he could with what this movie ended up being, if that makes sense. Um, but I mean, if you're just, if you want like, you know, a lot of, you know, if you're looking for like a dark night type of, there's a lot of depth to the script as well as really good action kind of thing, that's not this movie necessarily. But if you just want like, you know, entertainment, just fun action to watch, you know, maybe even a good date movie, I guess, because there's a lot of action and just funny and like, you don't have to, you know, be deeply thinking about anything of this movie, maybe that. But that's about it. I mean, yeah, that that's what I would say. You literally just said that this movie is a good date movie because you don't have to pay attention and you can do other things while this movie's going on. <laughs> no, I'm just saying like, if you're... Uh-huh. <laughs> no, no, that's not what I mean. That's not, I'm not endorsing that. I'm just saying that it's, it's not one of those where, oh, like, my date's going to cry our first time hanging out because this is a really super sad, you know, movie love story type of thing or, you know, anything like that. So I don't know. You heard it here for, first, folks. Go see this movie because you can neck during this movie and it won't matter. Oh, please. Um, so I did reach out to Devin and I do have his score and it's going to be completely out of context. And I kind of like that. Um, but I do have his score for this movie. He just couldn't be here, you know, holidays and whatnot. So they kind of mess things up schedule wise for everybody. But he gives this three out of 10 harbinger uh, mispronunciations of names. The Anung Amran Rama mm-hmm. name, essentially. Um, <laughs> but it's three mispronounced harbinger names out of 10 is exactly how he worded it. Oh, boy. So that is his score. There's zero content. Uh, context to it um we might have him create a video or a at least a facebook post after this mo- this uh podcast is live to maybe explain his or maybe i'll record a special podcast with him where he just kind of rants for five or ten minutes about this movie and gives you the context for his score but that's a score just thought in case you guys were wondering on it and so for nice. me would i recommend this movie um kinda I mean, I get, I feel like most of the movies I've seen lately are kind of this way. It's, if you've got nothing better to do, sure, watch it. <laughs> I mean, if somebody else is buying your movie ticket to it, I guess. Like on a date? You know, your own, like, no, like a buddy <laughs> hangout. Oh my. Um, or like if you have a movie subscription plan type of thing, like a, like a AMC A-list where you get three movies a week for free. Well, not for free, but for the amount of money you pay. Um, sure, go watch it. If you're not losing any money on it, go watch it. Other than that, wait till it's on HBO or Netflix or Hulu or Amazon. Wait till it's on some other streaming site that you're already paying for to watch it. Other than that, don't go out of your way and buy a fucking movie ticket for it. Um, so my score, I guess I will give it mm, 36 giants heads sliding down a pole out of 100. Mm. That's what I would give this movie. In the in the long run. Well, I was super generous with my it's, score then. Yeah, but you don't have anything to compare it to, so True. it's fine. And I've got more to compare it to than even some other people because I have read some comics too. So it's it, it it has some flashes 
of greatness. It's just when it de- finally devolves into a gigantic mess, it's even worse than I'm describing by calling it a gigantic mess. It's a gigantic mess is kind of a positive statement compared to what this actually kind of devolves into. But I'll go ahead and leave it at that and just say by the time it devolves into a gigantic mess, it's downright almost unwatchable at that point. <laughs> and if you're not deeply steeped in Hellboy like lore, it's so much of it's just going to be wasted on you. And that doesn't work, especially in the first movie of a franchise, you know? Like when you're barely establishing any lore and you're just throwing lore in there, just it, it's wasted. So even if this was successful and they were making another one, I wouldn't even know where the fuck they were going with it. Cause like what now right. are they going to pick scraps from now? You know, it's, it's kind of like they shot their shot with no plans for anything else. Although I will say and, that the end scene when they're all going through and they're like fighting and, you know, they're all like a team working together more so. Um, I really did actually like that closing scene. I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, that would have been nice if you had seen that throughout the rest of the movie. Right. Like, it's it's so wasted because it's like 15, 20 seconds at the end. You see them fighting as a team, and then they give you that weird uh, hint that if they were doing a sequel, they were going to have Abe Sapien in that. Because um, that's the uh, Ithio Sapien, or Ikio Sapien, or however the fuck you say that. That's him. The fish man is what that is. That's Abe Sapien from the other movies that, yeah, it's, I don't know. I don't even know if I would want to have seen that version of that character because then I feel like they'd waste him too (laughs) with all that other shit. Um, But other than that, guys, thank you for listening. We are, uh, we are on Twitter at the cinema underscore slayers. We are on Instagram at cinema underscore slayers. We are on Facebook at cinema slayers. We are on the interwebs just in general at www.cinemaslayers.com. If you are a musician or anything like that and you don't like our music and you think you could do a better job, prove it. Send us some stuff. We're going to do a little contest on that and get hopefully a new intro and outro music and all that other stuff with it. And there will be a monetary, monetary sort of prize for that. Also, just because you're putting in some work. We'll pay you some money for it, especially if that's one we're going to use. Um, so, yes, get us those submissions by May 31st, which is and submit those to CinemaSlayers at CinemaSlayers.com via email. Also, if you are starting a podcast or you want to start a podcast or you already have a podcast, and you kind of want to expand what you're doing. Go ahead and um, and, you you know, you want to maybe learn more, learn how or all this other stuff. And, you, you know, want some help with that. Go ahead and reach out to me personally at sterling at cinemaslayers.com um, or, you know, you message me on Facebook or anything like that just so you can, you know, do all that. And we can maybe work something out with you to like help you exp- expand your platform and maybe you can help us expand ours and all this other stuff and all of that under the domain of a podcast network that I am starting that we will announce on a later date. Also, we do already have some artwork and stuff for it. I'm pretty excited about that. Thank you, Mundo, for that. But other than that, guys, thank you for listening. And I want you to remember two things. The 2019 Hellboy movie is for necking. And according to Justin, Moon Knight is a Best Picture winner. Mm-hmm.